facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome to Friday. We're going to get you excited. We're going to get you pumped up for the weekend. It's the 20th of October, 2023. You're talking to me, Kale Clark, and I am sitting here with my double espresso, double shot here. I'm going to get hyped, going to get you hyped. Faith, facts, and fun. It's going to be another great hour. We hope, we pray. Say a prayer for me. And I'll pray for you too. But you can call this number right now, 888-914-914. It's a toll-free line to talk to me on The Kale Clark Show, sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters, 888-914-9149. So much to get to today. By the way, you can also find me on the X app, at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. Time permitting. I'm going to tell you about, speaking of the X app, which is, of course, owned by Elon Musk, he has uh, kind of downgraded the New York Times. He's taken away their gold check mark. Now that everybody has a blue check mark, the real honest to goodness organizations get a gold check mark. Well, not for the New York Times anymore. Elon has downgraded them and just given them the plain old blue check mark because he doesn't necessarily think that they're providing accurate information anymore about a lot of stuff, specifically what's going on in the Middle East. We'll talk about that as we go along. But something that's really trending today. And I think it's the number one Catholic sort of piece that's trending on the net, on Twitter. Uh, It actually comes out of Rome uh, from the National Catholic Register, the editor of the NC Register, Jonathan Lytle. I I really like his writing. I I follow him on Twitter, too. I, I like a lot of the stuff that he has to say. He talked about a speech in Rome about women's ordination, and it has kind of gone viral. Everybody's talking about this. So I, I want to deal with, with this uh, in particular. Now, it has to do with the Synod on Synodality. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to get into the Synod. Sorry to disappoint. Um, we will talk about the Synod after the Synod's over. <laughs> um, we'll deal with the... I don't even know when the final documents are going to come out, how long it will take for that to happen. But, but I will, and I don't want to give away too much right now, but I will be talking about that after the Synod, after we've got the final documents with a bishop. And we'll deal with that when the time comes. There is, of course, and I, I do have some thoughts on this. I just don't want to share them right now because there's a lot of speculation going on about what's really happening and what different people's agendas might be. Um, not going to get into that because at the end of the day, the, fi- the final document is what we have to reckon with. But this is kind of... Um, it's cognate to the Synod because it's something that happened within the Synod that makes me want to talk about a, sort of the topic in general. So I'm not talking about the Synod per se. Okay, so just to, just to be clear on that. Um, this is an interesting piece by Jonathan Lytle. And he talked about the fact that at the Synod, according to people he interviewed who were there, there was a laywoman who got a huge round of applause for a three-minute speech, because you can only talk for, I think, three minutes, three and a half minutes at the Synod when you, when you have the floor. A laywoman got a loud round of applause for a speech that kind of just pushed back against what some people want to do, which is push the agenda for women's ordination uh, to the diaconate. Is this even possible? We'll deal with that in a second. Uh, or even uh, uh, female priesthood. Now, this happened apparently on October the 16th during the morning 
address. And they were sort of talking about this whole issue uh, about ordination. And the Catholic National Catholic Register spoke with two members of the Synod who were present at the time in the Paul VI Hall. And you might, might have seen pictures of what's going on there. They're all sitting at tables in the round. Um, it's, it's intriguing. It almost looks like, um, I don't know, my high school cafeteria or something. So they're all kind of sitting in, in, in round tables talking to each other. And um, there are confidentiality rules, which are in, in essence being violated by those who are sharing what's going on with the press. <clears throat> but apparently the, this woman, um, who is a lay woman, who apparently is a, and we don't know exactly who it is, but um, a married lay woman who's a mom as well, uh, talked about in her three-minute speech, it's called an intervention, by the way, that's the technical language on it. During her intervention, she talked about the importance of motherhood, biological motherhood, and spiritual motherhood for understanding what it means to be a woman from a Catholic perspective, especially drawing on the example of Mary, the mother of God, as a paradigm of womanhood. And this, this uh, lady also, during her speech, criticized calls for women's ordination. So it's, um, it's, it's really, according to one of the participants who was there talking to, uh, to this journalist, Jonathan Lytle, the speech was described as, quote, profound and real. Profound and real. I'm wondering what you guys think about this whole topic, 888 about this idea, this, this push uh, for women's ordination, a women's diaconate, there was another uh, speech pro-women's ordination uh, that happened not too long before that, and that speech was described by this source as militant, as militant. But when this, this, this laywoman came up saying, no, 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 this is not what we need, uh, apparently people were smiling, there was joy on the faces of a lot of the participants, relief perhaps on, on the faces of others, and loud applause from the a lot of the 365 members who were there, it's now into its third week. It's, it's ending, by the way, on uh, the 31st of this month on Halloween. So there are 54 women, including this gal who gave the speech, uh, voting in the Synod. Um, and lay people, men and women, non-bishops, 27% of the Synod Assembly are kind of fall into that category uh, of non-bishops. So... Anyways, um, that, that was a, an interesting piece that, that came out. And this, um, this concept of, of whether or not it's possible for women to be ordained is something that's kind of been on my mind lately because on our sister program on the Faith Explained show, I've been uh, talking about St. Paul's letter to the Romans. And in chapter 16 of St. Paul's letter to the Romans, there's an interesting reference to this gal named Phoebe. Now, I don't know if, you've, if this uh, is something you'd recall right off the bat, but a lot of my non-Catholic friends, non-Catholic Christian friends, some of whom are kind of you know, sniffing around the church a little bit, they're sort of considering maybe, maybe not, whether they, whether they should maybe be Catholic. They're certainly asking a lot of questions about it. In St. Paul's letter to the Romans, this is a question I get a lot, and it has to do with this gal named Phoebe. There's some other stuff as well, but I just want to read this to you. This is in Romans chapter 16, and at the end of the letter, we'll, we'll get there. We're, we're just kind of starting out now. It's a great time to get in on this. If you haven't heard any of the episodes we've done this week, it's a brand new series on Romans called Can You Handle the Truth? 
And uh, I'm going to disagree with Nathan, Nathan Jessup here, Colonel Nathan Jessup. I think you can handle the truth when it comes to Romans. Uh, at, anyway, at any rate, uh, St. Paul kind of signs off the letter at the end. And he greets all these people. And he says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deaconess of the church at Centria. Okay, so people say that and they say, aha, Phoebe is a deaconess. So there were female deacons in the Catholic Church even in the beginning. How do you explain this, Kale? Well, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about this. But just to, to finish up with um, this whole piece in the Senate, I'm going to just check here and see if there's anything else of interest uh, that we can talk about here. Um, not really. Not really. Okay. Now, one other thing, though, that, that Jonathan Lytle does mention, though, he, he does uh, clarify that the Pope, that Pope Francis has repeatedly affirmed throughout the years that the Church cannot cannot sacramentally ordain women. It's not possible. And in 2013, that's one of the times when he said this, and Pope Francis was talking about JP II, Pope John Paul the Great, St. John Paul II, in his 1994 letter called Ordinatio Sacerdotalis, okay, which is all about sacred ordination, the sacrament of holy orders. He said that, quote, the church has no authority whatsoever to confer priestly ordination on women, and that this judgment is to be definitively held by all the church's faithful, end of quote. He also said at the time, Pope John Paul II, that this was, quote, the last word, end of quote, on the subject, that there can't be open, this door cannot be open. And Pope Francis has always backed up JP2 on this in 2022. Uh, he again said, this is Pope Francis talking, women cannot enter ordained ministry. But this is not, he said it is not a deprivation, quote-unquote. And so uh, he was asked more questions about this by some cardinals, uh, Dubia. And then he said, in response to their questions, quote, no one can publicly contradict John Paul II's determination on this. Although, he said the subject can still be studied. But, but again, that's an important distinction to make, that nobody can contradict the uh, JP2 on this. Um, but it can still be looked into. And in fact, um, he had commissioned a study into the historicity of, of women deacons and whether or not uh, it's actually possible. But again, it, it's really important to, to stick to what he actually says here, that JP2's words can't be contradicted. So there was a major study that came out in 2002 about this as well, uh, out of the Vatican, which concluded that um, this deal with the early church and deaconesses is not the same thing as the sacrament of holy orders and of course the three degrees of holy orders deacon priest and bishop it's not the same thing at all so it's it's just an interesting thing that's going to come up in my in my study of romans and i wanted to kind of uh, talk about this just just for a, a couple minutes here you're listening to the kale clark show triple eight nine one four nine one four nine is the number to call now when saint paul says that phoebe is a deaconess by the way he's using this greek word diakonos diakonos. And it, and it can refer at times to ordained deacons. Paul does talk about bishops. He talks about priests, um, presbyters, which are priests. He also talks about deacons, ordained deacons, if you will. But the word diakonos simply means servant. So sometimes that means the ordained servants, and sometimes that means other servants. And he uses that uh, term in that way in, a, in different places as well. And as one writer points out, 
there are servants, diakonos, at the wedding at Cana, who are asked to, if you read the New Testament in Greek, they're asked to fill the, <laughs> fill the jars with water. And that doesn't mean that these servants are ordained deacons. They're, they're servants. So we, we can't stretch the, uh, the language too far on that one. Um, some of you guys are familiar with um, Dr. Peter Kraft, who's a friend of the program. He wrote many years ago, and um, if you can get, it's out of print now. It's out of print, sadly, but it's an excellent book that he co-wrote with Dr. Alice von Hildebrand, who I believe has also passed away recently. Uh, I think she did, yes, if memory serves. Um, so may she rest in peace. Dr. Alice von Hildebrand, very famous Catholic philosopher, the spouse of Dietrich von Hildebrand, the late Dietrich von Hildebrand. Anyways, Peter Kraft wrote a book with her about women in the priesthood, and that's what it's called, Women in the Priesthood. And he wrote the first part, she wrote the second part, and she kind of wrote of why this doesn't make sense from a woman's perspective. But Peter Kraft talked about in, in his in his little section, he's got such witticisms, such turns of phrase. He basically said this. He said, only boys can be the daddies and only girls can be the mommies. And of course, he started talking about in the religious life, of course, there are mother superiors, there are, there are nuns. Uh, a man can't become a nun. And this is kind of interesting because this, this, some might say, well, yeah, they can. This, this, the, the whole transgender movement kind of, I don't think this was necessarily something he was thinking about when he, when he wrote that book and when he was talking about this. But there are those who would say that's not the case, and there's a lot of confusion on the, on the subject. But um, C.S. Lewis as well, and I know C.S. Lewis was a big personal hero of, of Peter Crave's talks about him all the time, wrote, wrote books about him, the great and brilliant C.S. Lewis, who never became Catholic, although he believed a lot of Catholic stuff. He believed a lot of Catholic stuff. And, and when you read him, you think, man, why didn't he become Catholic? I think the answer is because he was ultimately too prejudiced against the Catholic Church because of his upbringing in Dublin. And, and uh, all, all, he, just, he just could never get over certain things. Um, but he wrote a, a, an essay that a lot of people have criticized him for, especially in this modern age. C.S. Lewis wrote an essay, I think it was in 1948, if memory serves, called Priestesses in the Church? And it was a whole, about this whole concept of, uh, of women's ordination. And one of the things that both Peter Kraft and C.S. Lewis noted was that in Jesus' day, it, some people want to bring the argument that you know, it was such a patriarchal society back then, and the Jewish religion was so patriarchal that, you know, Jesus probably would have wanted to have women priests, but he just couldn't rock the apple cart that much at the time. He had to kind of wait it out kind of thing. And But a proper development of doctrine would see women's ordination. That's what a lot of people say. But here's the thing. C.S. Lewis notes that the Jews were the only religion of Jesus' time that didn't have women priests. People knew about women priests. There were all kinds of Gentile pagan cults that had women priestesses. It was a known thing. This wasn't like, it's not like Jesus never heard of this. He could have if he wanted to. And, and Jesus was definitely not afraid. And Crave talks about this. Jesus was definitely not afraid to upset the apple cart. E even the fact that he had women disciples, women learners, was radical. For his time absolutely radical for his time but he did he absolutely did i don't think jesus was concerned about human respect 
And even his opponents noted that. They said, you know, they kind of give him some false praise. They try to trap him. They'd say, teacher, we know that you don't, give, you don't respect any man. By that we mean you don't really care what people think. You just kind of lay it out there. You're, you're not trying to please people. Uh, and it's definitely the case. He, 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 um, and it would, by the way, as, another thing Crave said in his book is that let's not forget that sexism is a sin. It's a sin. Are you really going to accuse the sinless son of God of the sin of sexism by not ordaining women as apostles and choosing women as his future priests. So that, that's, that's a pretty serious accusation to make. You don't want to make that. So that, that's, that's a really, really, um, I think those two guys, um, and Alice von Hildebrand as well in her section, uh, wrote very well about this. And it, it's certainly becoming a thing. Now, what, and what, about, what about these deaconesses as well? They, 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 there was a certain thing that they were responsible for in the early church, but it wasn't the ministry of an ordained uh, deacon through the sacrament of holy orders. Um, a couple years ago, um, in, uh, on, uh, in the Catholic.com magazine, Jim Russell uh, wrote, wrote a piece about this, and he said, really, you've got you've to be really careful. You'll, you'll see things in the media where people will use these terms, like woman, deacon, but what do they mean by that? What do they mean by that? Because there's a difference between the first degree of holy orders, the sacrament of holy orders, the sacred diaconate, and there was, there, there's no question, there were these deaconesses in the early church, these women, but what did they do? He says they were a minor order, if you will. And he even says this term of ordination, you've got to be careful with that as well, because... They were kind of ordained, but they weren't ordained sacramentally. This wasn't the sacrament of holy orders. They were ordained for the minor order of deaconesses. It wasn't a sacrament. Men are also ordained to minor orders, like acolyte, that sort of thing. You might have heard of that. So, And even the term clergy, believe it or not, in times past, the term clergy would have referred to the minor orders in general, as well as, of course, the sacramentally ordained. So, But it has nothing to do with the sacrament of holy orders. What did these deaconesses do, by the way? Uh, they did a lot of different things. One of the things that they did was assist uh, women for propriety's sake in baptism. Because, of course, in the early church, people got dunked, and they were usually naked when this happened. Okay, we don't do this anymore. But there has to be some sort of propriety here. They, they had some sort of role in making sure that yeah, nothing inappropriate was ever seen. I don't know how that, all that worked, but that was uh, certainly part of uh, what they did. And there were some uh, uh, accounts as well of, of what their role was in the early church. And in a sense, they were almost like early nuns, if you will. Some, a lot of them took uh, vows of virginity and all that sort of stuff. So you can get into this. If you want to really go deep into this, um, Cardinal... Gerhard Mueller, who used to be the head of the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, he wrote a, a work called Priesthood and Diaconate. He talks about this. Uh, not only that, there was a, a really, really uh, deep work by Amy Martimort called Deaconesses. So check out those sources. And uh, not only that, uh, the Vatican itself in 2002, like I said, uh, the International Theological Commission put out a document called From the Diaconia, From the Diaconia of Christ, to the diaconia of the apostles. And that, that also, that document also concludes that these 
deaconesses in church history were not equivalent to sacramentally ordained deacons. So I hope that kind of clears uh, things up. But that was a big story today. That was a really big trending topic on the net today. You might have seen it. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but you can certainly call in 888-914-9149. Hang with me on The Kale Clark Show. We will be right back after this. And don't forget, the week that was is coming up. You will not want to miss it. 888-914-9149. This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Hey, I'm so glad you're with me right now for segment number two on this Friday on The Kale Clark Show. 888-914-9149 is the number to call. Hey, you know what we're going to do right now? We're going to go right to the phones. Before the break, we were talking about a push that's happening for women's ordination and there was a, a participant of the Synod, a married woman who was, who was part of it, who pushed right back, pushed right back and said, this is not a good thing. You don't want this. Let's go to the phones right now. Erica in Alameda, California is online. Hi, Erica. Hi, Mr. Clark. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. How are you? Pretty good. Thank you. Great. What's, uh, um, what's your take on this? Well, I wanted to confirm what you said about the female deaconesses. Mm. That also jibes with what I have learned when I've studied, that they helped for propriety's sake in baptism and nothing else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then um, there's been a lot with regard to the woman at the Synod uh, pushing back about against female ordination. Mm-hmm. There's two things there. One is that Jesus could have uh, opted for female priests. Right. Mm-hmm. But the whole thing about Judaism is to bring the Messiah, and the mm-hmm. Messiah then to give what God really wants, and he didn't do it. There must have been something in the whole history of Judaism into Christianity that God doesn't want that. And my idea is that God made women to birth children and priests and the men to birth Jesus in in the Mass. And if we promote the dignity of women, if we promote the dignity of motherhood, then we'll have more priests, more consecrated mm. religious and lay, and eventually an end to abortion. Mm-hmm. And... One of the difficulties today is that if you ask liberal women what is a woman, they can't tell you. My definition of a woman is that she's only the only segment of the human species that can give birth. In almost any other area, she can match a man except for his strength, which is where you get into the gender bending thing, then? Yeah, interesting points, Erica. And thank, thank you very much for your call, Erica, in Alameda. And it's, it's interesting that you pointed some of this stuff out because one of the things that uh, apparently this woman said at the Senate, kind of pushing back against this 
drive for it. Not that it's even possible. As JP2 and as Pope Francis has verified, it's not actually even possible uh, to sacramentally or, ordain women. And it has nothing to do with their, their gifts, their skills, or, or anything. And we'll get into that in just a second. But one of the things that this, this woman apparently said was that this is nothing but clericalism. And the clerical mindset, people just can't get past this idea that if I'm not part of the clergy, if I'm not, if I can't be ordained, then I'm, I'm, I, I might as well not be here. That's ridiculous because we all have a role to play in the church. And, um, and, and the laity have an important role that we have to discover our vocations in, in the middle of the world. And so we all, no, obviously we all share in the baptismal priesthood, the common baptismal priesthood of all the faithful. And this is foreshadowed in the Old Testament because Israel was a royal kingdom of priests, if you will, as a, as, as a group, as a people. But there were still the Levites who were that tribe within Israel who were the ministerial priests, as it were. And this is, um, it's an important thing to understand because there are many women in the church today who would be far better preachers than a lot of the priests and bishops out there. And a lot of the and if, if there are priests and bishops and deacons listening to me right now, I'm sure you'd probably agree with me. Think about uh, throughout church history, Teresa of Avila. Do you think she would have been a great preacher? Do you think she could have preached better than most of the priests of her time? No question about it. Or Catherine of Siena, or you name it, throughout, throughout, uh, throughout history. And there are great um, scholars, people like Dr. Mary Healy, my friend Dr. Josephine Lombardi, who teaches at St. Augustine Seminary. Phenomenal communicators of theology, God's word, unbelievable stuff. So it's not it's not a question of ability or or, or certain communicative gifts or inspirational gifts in, in that sense. And and people often in in this uh, in this discussion they will often uh, in in trying to sort of say we should have women's ordination. They'll turn to Saint Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter three. And Paul writes, and I, and I heard this a lot during my um, my time away from the Catholic Church in the evangelical world, where there are there are women pastors. I went to seminary, the Protestant seminary, with tons of women who were studying for ministry, and they would use these verses to kind of back up their claims. And this is Galatians chapter three, verses twenty-eight to twenty-nine. Saint Paul says, "There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female." For you are all one in Christ Jesus. So, I mean, I remember professors saying, well, we've done really well with the first two. You know, there's neither Jew nor Greek. You know, we're all together now as believers in Christ. Uh, there are many Jewish believers in Jesus and, of course, a lot of Gentiles as well. Slavery, thank God, is being eradicated. Or ha- it still needs to be eradicated. There's still a lot of human slavery, a lot of human trafficking happening. It's a scourge. There are different forms of slavery all the time, and there always has been in every age. But the church played such a, Christianity played such a great role in the eradication of slavery in uh, the UK, in America, in terms of the transcontinental slave trade. So, okay, we, you know, that's, that's in process, but, you know, we're working on that. But the third one, they would always say, we haven't got that right. There is neither male nor female. Why is it? that women can't be ordained. But I think really what what folks are confusing when they when they read what they're getting confused about when they read this verse from St. Paul is that St. Paul is talking about our status in Christ. We all are equal as believers in Christ in terms of our status in Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, 
there is neither male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. In a sense, he's saying you're all equal in Christ Jesus. But our roles are different. Our roles are not the same. And the roles that men and women play in the church, in the family, in society are different. Like Peter Crave said, you know, in his catchy way, which may be offensive to some, only boys can be the daddies and only girls can be the mommies. But that's reality. That's absolute reality. And so uh, we have to respect that. And in terms of the, um, the, the male priesthood, again, it's not, it's not about ability per se. There's also the bridegroom slash bride analogy that really comes into it because the church is the bride of Christ collectively. And the, the priest is acting in the person of Christ. When the priest consecrates and the bread and wine become confected into the Eucharist, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, what does the priest say? This is my body. And it's not becoming the body of Father Tom or whoever. It's Jesus barring the vocal cords of the priest. Jesus, the bridegroom, and this is how he's described in the Gospel of John. The best man is John the Baptist. He says, hey, I'm the friend of the bridegroom. I'm the best man. I'm supposed to set up the bachelor party. But he's the divine bridegroom, and I'm here to serve him. So Jesus is the bridegroom. The church is the bride. And, and it would destroy that analogy, the symbolism, uh, if it wasn't a male priest. That, that's part of it as well. But it's, it is also broken down, and I think Erica mentioned this in her call, too, that God has also, there's also elements of God revealing himself as Father. Of course, God is pure spirit, but he has chosen to reveal himself as Father. Um, that, that is important. Jesus obviously picks up on this as well. Our Father, he teaches this in, uh, to us in, in, of course, the Lord's Prayer. Anyways, there are a lot of things we could say about this. But it has nothing to do with our equality in Christ. It doesn't mean that uh, women in the church are less than men in terms of their, their status in Christ. Let's go back to the phones right now. Let's go to uh, Richard in Sacramento. Hi, Richard. Richard, are you there? Uh, Richard has, has uh, maybe uh, stepped away for a moment. I'll try to get him back. Let's go to Karen in Wisconsin. Hi, Karen, on line four. Hello, thank you. I have a comment, please. Sure, go ahead. Okay. I do many things in my Catholic parish. I lead faith groups. I lead grieving with great hope. I facilitate a Bible study. And I think that the gifts and talents that I have as a woman are being very well used. And it makes me think sometimes that people who disagree with this, that they need to be more actually might be too prideful, and they should consider that. Where is this coming from in them? Hmm. Now, that's, that's well, it's a fair comment, I think, to, to throw out there. And, and hey, I, you know, I'm a guy, but I'm not a priest either, but I can still do things, and I can still uh, bring the faith to people. That's one of the things I try to do every day on Relevant Radio. I can still try to share the gospel with others and, and serve the church. And there's so many ways that the church needs to be served and again this this fixation on the clerical state if you're not in the clerical state you're you're nothing you know it's just a bad mindset and um 99.9 of us are not called to the clerical state and so we still have though a great vocation that we've got to fulfill uh, in the church and in the world absolutely so 
Anyways, 888-914-9149. Thank you for that call, Karen. Appreciate that. 888-914-9149. You know what we're going to do right now? Jim, are you good for this? Can we? All right. We're, we're going to actually play for you something I've been wanting to. I've been holding back a little bit, but I think now is the right time. Here is the week that was on the Kale Clark Show, put together by producer Jim Shaper. Check it out. On this day in 1978, Cardinal Wojtyla became Pope John Paul II. Talk about somebody who lived through some of the worst evils humanity had ever seen. Let's go to Stasha in Austin, Texas. I'm from Poland, and we lived in Krakow by then. When JP2 was um, elected Pope, our media just went silent. But the operators were calling customers and telling them, did you know we have a Pope and his, this is Cardinal Wojtyla. What was the feeling among the people? It was just elation and, you know, we just found out by the word of mouth, neighbor to neighbor, and then everybody left for the main plaza in Krakow. The bells were ringing. All the churches wow. were full. People were joyful singing for the first time. Then the fear broke. Oh, that is, that is so powerful. Like the long lines of vacationers queuing up for the latest and scariest roller coaster, the Romans want to be shocked. They want to dare themselves to look, challenge themselves not to throw up. Wow, that is an evocative a description of the Colosseum at the turn of the century to the second century AD. And this is where Ignatius of Antioch was martyred. He was thrown to the wild beasts. In his writings, they're super invaluable for us because, again, he was the second bishop of Antioch after Peter. He knew personally and was taught by the apostle John. Ignatius says, quote, let that be deemed a proper Eucharist, which is administered either by the bishop or by one to whom he has entrusted it. Wherever the bishop shall appear, there let the multitude of the people also be. Even as wherever Jesus Christ is, there is the Catholic Church. Luke is basically saying, hey, I decided to investigate everything. I've been following it closely. I'm like a detective here. And he really did his homework. In all likelihood, he's interviewing Mary. He probably also spent a lot of time interviewing St. Paul. Interesting thing that, that Jimmy Aiken points out, when, when Luke talks about the Last Supper, the First Mass, and Jesus instituting the Eucharist, that when he talks about Jesus' words of institution, you know, this is my body, this is my blood, he, he's very close to the words that St. Paul uses. Then St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 11. So it's interesting. He, he sticks really closely to the formula used by uh, St. Paul, who we hung out with and spent a lot of time with. Let's go to Jim in St. Paul, Minnesota. Hey, Jim. Hello, Kale. I love your pop culture references and your, um, your music. Excellent did not come from Wayne's World, but rather from Bill and Ted's oh, Excellent Adventure. You're right. Early Keanu Reeves. How could I possibly mess that up? My fellow Canadian, Keanu Reeves. One of the Iroquois who knew he'd seen Father Jean de Breva baptizing people. He knew a little bit about the, the rite of baptism. He took a boiling cauldron of water and poured it over his head three times in a, in a, a mock of baptism. And he said, okay, you say the baptism and the sufferings of this life lead straight to paradise? Well, you're gonna go soon. I have now baptized you. I'm gonna make you suffer 
to go sooner to your paradise. That's how powerful his martyrdom really was. The blood of the martyrs, the seed of the church, as you know. Wow, so many fun episodes, so many powerful, uh, poignant references to the saints, whether it's JP2, whether it's Ignatius of Antioch, get niggy with it, as we, as we did the other day. And also, of course, the North American martyrs. We talked about them yesterday. Hey, if you missed any episodes of the Kale Clark Show or The Faith Explained or any other relevant radio program, they are archived for you on the relevant radio app. Download it. If you haven't done so already, go for it. It's free. It's the number one free Catholic app in the world. Check it out. And thank you, Producer Jim, for pulling that all together. All right. Let's go back to the phones. Let's go to Paul in Youngstown, Ohio. Hey, our good friend Paul. Welcome back. Gail, um, I was wondering about the structure of the Synod uh, with lay participants. Um, I take it bishops or bishops and priests perhaps can vote. Do the lay people have voting rights or uh, as much of a voting uh, right as the, as the clergy? Uh, you know, Paul, I, I haven't been paying strict attention to the structures of the Synod, so I, I can't really comment on that. But my understanding is, and I hope I'm not wrong on this, that that the votes, everybody gets to vote. Now, in terms of is this binding, anything they come up with is not binding doctrine to the Church. Um, I'm going to bookmark the rest of this conversation for after the Senate. Again, I hate to do that to you right now, but... Like I said, I'm going to have a bishop on, and we're going to talk about this in much more detail when it's over and what it all means. So sorry to leave you hanging there, Paul, but there's lots of research you can do online about that as well. If you're, if you're interested, you can check it out. And like I said, it just, it's just not something I've been doing a deep dive into, although I am perifer- peripherally aware of, of what's happening there. Let's go to Richard in... Thanks, thanks for the call, Paul. I appreciate it. Let's go to Richard in Sacramento, California. We've got you back on the line. Hi, Richard. Hi, um, thank you for taking my call. I was thinking that um, when Jesus had the 12 apostles, uh, and then after that, they were always the bishops that were men. You know, mm-hmm. the women did some preaching. It wasn't like an official role. And I thought that um, Jesus gave women the gift of having children, and I think them as standing up there as a priest, that would kind of make less sense because they probably wouldn't have as much time to have children and it would be difficult because the culture back then was so much like male you know and so but mainly i just think there's more strength in men as far as preaching because if you have two sexes then the women and the men up you know on the altar might you know i'm not going to do anything but you know it's just too much i think well, Richard, let me, let me just jump in there. For um, it, It's, you know, I have a friend who is, he kind of shocked me. This guy is super, super well-educated, and he believes a lot of Catholic stuff. And I was really shocked, because when I, when I asked him, why aren't you Catholic? The answer he gave me, I never expected him to say this. He said it was about women's ordination. He, that's a big sticking point, and I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it, because... I wouldn't classify this guy as um, a theological liberal by any stretch of the imagination. It kind of shocked me a little bit. but um, And like I said before, a lot of women would be far better preachers than a lot of guys in the pulpit right now. There's no question about it. But it's not about ability. It's not about knowledge or wisdom even. Um, and that's uh, 
that's something that we all kind of have to to wrap our minds around. And like I said, also, nor is it about our equality in in the body of Christ. And by the way, people don't understand how the church did more for the cause of women than any other organization throughout history on the face of the earth, specifically forcing guys to be faithful to their marriages and not leaving their spouses for frivolous reasons. And the church also had maybe the first women CEOs ever, nuns who started hospitals. Um, so the church has done a lot. Uh, contrary to popular belief, the Catholic Church has done so much for for the cause of women uh, in, in the world. And a lot of it has to do with the sacrament of marriage, as I said, and, and keeping uh, that family bond in Tact. And from good families come, as one caller said earlier, good priests, good nuns, good lay people serving the church in various vocations. We've got to take a quick break right now on the Kale Clark Show, but we'll be right back. 888-914-9149. This is the Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Hey, welcome back to the program. It is Friday. It is October the 20th, 2023, and we've got the Eye of the Tiger. You know who else had the Eye of the Tiger, I think? He talked about tigers. He talked about different animals, lions. C.S. Lewis. We mentioned C.S. Lewis earlier. He talked about Aslan the Lion in his Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe series. Of course, that was a reference to Christ. We get it. We get it. We saw through it from the beginning. I want to refer to him once again here because... Uh, when the uh, when Hamas invaded Israel and committed all of their heinous terroristic acts last Saturday, uh, was it last Saturday? Or was it two weeks ago? Man, it's, time is just two weeks ago already. Wow, it's a uh, man. It's just a blur, and already the world seems to be forgetting about their barbaric atrocities. And many people want to become apologists for Hamas, which I think is heinous in itself. Um. When I when I heard about this, I was off for Canadian Thanksgiving, and I just I was so I just like how can I even celebrate this? You know, given what's going on here, and and we can kind of get into this trap. And C.S. Lewis, um, who was no stranger to war himself, he almost died in trench warfare in World War One. Um, he talked about, and this is this is really helpful to me because sometimes you think, well, how can I enjoy? my family, how can I enjoy the, the beauty of life when other people are suffering like this in such a uh, profound way? And, and without losing sight of, of that, what about joy? What about beauty? How can we carry on? C.S. Lewis can kind of help us with that because after World War I, of course, he became a very famous professor, writer, uh, became best friends, really, with J.R.R. Tolkien. They used to you know, have pints together at the Eagle and Child Pub and uh, the famous Inklings uh, group that they had together. His books have sold over 100 million copies. He actually gave an iconic talk on the eve of World War II at Oxford University. And here here's really the, the main thesis of his talk. Does beauty still matter when the bombs start falling? Does beauty and culture still matter at all when the bombs start falling? I want to share with you some things he said about that. And uh, Josh Dolani uh, on Twitter, who goes by the handle at Old Books Guy, he had a nice thread on this, and I thought it was worth sharing. And C.S. Lewis noted, essentially, when he spoke at Oxford University, that the, the constant human situation throughout history is war, strife, chaos, pain. And here's what he said, quote, 
Human life has always been lived on the edge of a precipice. Human culture has always had to exist under the shadow of something infinitely more important than itself. Yet culture somehow still breaks out. And basically he talked about the fact that if we, had, if we waited, if human beings waited for peace, for a time of total peace and serenity, in order to create anything like art, nobody would have ever painted the cave dwellers' paintings. The, the first cave painting, we still wouldn't have it. Because there's always some imminent danger around the corner that looks to be more important than building a culture. And Lewis said this, quote, If men had postponed the search for knowledge and beauty until they were secure, the search never would have begun, end of quote. He also said this, he, he kind of made an interesting analogy with the life of insects and the life of human beings. He said, quote, The insects have chosen a different line. They have sought first the material welfare and security of the hive, and presumably they have their reward. But men are different. Men are different, end of quote. So, yeah, the way ants build an anthill, the way bees build a hive, they're kind of, they just focus on the collective. And, and it's very, very, um, I don't know, utilitarian, I guess, in their, in their approach to things. But, but human beings are different. We are looking for growth. We're looking for adventure. We're looking for so much more. And he, and he went on to say what, you know, what part of what makes us unique is this. C.S. Lewis here, quote, men propound mathematical theorems in beleaguered cities. They conduct metaphysical arguments in condemned cells. They make jokes on scaffolds and they comb their hair at Thermopylae. This is not panache. It is our nature, end of quote. It, it's true that even in the midst of war, soldiers will, you know, argue about philosophy, you know, in, in, in foxholes. Uh, they'll want to read things. They'll want to somehow pursue literature, beauty, even, even in, in prison. Uh, we talked about uh, making jokes on scaffolds, right? Think about Thomas More, the great St. Thomas More. And I'm going to be talking about him uh, later uh, on November the, the, uh, the 1st, All Saints Day. Great stories about great saints on Relevant Radio. It's going to be phenomenal. You won't want to miss that. He was the master at gallows humor when he was on the scaffold. He said, look, the executioner was trembling, nervous. Thomas More was a, a, a big shot. He's like, just make it a clean cut. I don't want you to lose your professional reputation. Oh, and by the way, I've been really trying to grow out this beard in the Tower of London. So, you know, don't touch the beard. <laughs> I mean, who says stuff like that? Unless you absolutely know where you're going to be five minutes after you die. So C.S. Lewis said that, you know, on the front line, soldiers don't talk about the progress of the campaign, how it's going. They're talking about stories. They're talking about open-ended questions, aesthetic satisfactions. And if they don't read good books, they're going to read bad ones. So he said, good philosophy must exist, if for no other reason, because bad philosophy needs to be answered. The cool intellect must work not only against cool intellect on the other side, but against the muddy heathen mysticisms which deny intellect altogether. He also mentioned the fact that our souls feed on truth and beauty. And these are the transcendentals, right? Truth, goodness, beauty. A lot of this is what draws people to the Catholic Church, the beauty of the church, the beauty of her teachings, the beauty of her saints, the beauty of her art, the beauty of her cathedrals. The soul feeds on truth and beauty. C.S. Lewis said, God makes no appetite in vain. 
We can therefore pursue knowledge and beauty in the sure confidence that by so doing, we are, either, we are either advancing to the vision of God ourselves or indirectly helping others to do so. End of quote. That's a powerful quote. I'm going to get back to that in a second. And he talked about also why we must study the past. He said, not that the past has any magic about it, but because we can't study the future. I mean, obviously he's right about that. It's not here yet. We can't study the future, and yet, yet, we need something to set against the present to remind us that basic assumptions have been quite different in different periods. And he said this, uh, sort of a, as a related thought, a man who has lived in many places is not likely to be deceived by the local errors of his village. The scholar has lived in many times and is therefore immune from the great cataract of nonsense that pours forth from the press of his own age. I like that. I like that. The press of his own age. And we certainly have a problem, don't we, with the press and fake news and what, what's, what people choose to focus on. Uh, unbiased journalism, we don't see it very often. But a scholar, you know, he, like C.S. Lewis, could traverse the, 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 the ages and, and have a way different perspective. It's zooming out big time to 30,000 feet. You know, he also said, don't, don't, don't wait to start doing this. Favorable conditions never come. You know, once this conflict is, is over, and God willing, it will be over soon, we want peace to reign. But he said the only people who achieve much of anything are those who want knowledge so badly that they seek it while the conditions are still unfavorable. Favorable conditions never come, end of quote. Wow, that is a brilliant, brilliant thought by C.S. Lewis. Favorable conditions never come. And it's a good reminder. We can't wait to start living in some mythical perfect time in the future, which is never going to come. There will always be challenges, and we've got to make up our minds to, to become saints now. God has given us all the grace that we need, and we can live this life, build a culture of beauty and truth, uh, following the teachings of our Lord. It's what we got to do, and that's what we try to promote every day right here on Relevant Radio. Thank you so much for listening to the Kale Clark Show today. Really, really appreciate you. Have an awesome weekend, everybody. And if you missed an episode, do check the archives, like I said, on the Relevant Radio app, relevantradio.com. Stay tuned for Trending with Timory, followed by Father Rocky and the Family Rosary. Father Simon sitting in for Father Rocky again today. That's right, he's still traveling on the Family Rosary across America. Jim Schaefer produced. Miranda Sinisteros took your phone calls. Have a great weekend, everybody. God bless you. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.